Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. I'm Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at Watermark. Welcome. I'm so glad that you are here. And we are going to jump right into the message, okay? Because the announcements covered it all. That's why. Gosh darn it. And um, we're in this Revelation series. It's the last book of the Bible. Bible's one book, 66 books. And Revelation is nothing spooky or kooky. You know what it is? It's just the gospel retold through images. That's what it is. It's the story of Jesus and his hope for humanity, his redemptive history plan told through amazing, poignant images and graphics. That's what it is. And today we're going to be primarily in Revelation chapter 19, so you can go there. And there really is this amazing picture of marriage. It's like mommy and daddy, you guys. It's like a marriage ceremony and celebration. So we're going to get into it. In this journey of the whole book of Revelation, we've been called several different things as believers, as Christians. We've been called to be priests. We are, you know. As believers, were priests. Hebrews says that Jesus was the great high priest. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not so much a priest because I don't preach. That would be a misconception. You know one of the most priestly things that Jesus did? He let people cry on his shoulder. That's one of the most amazing things that Jesus did as the great high priest. He let, he, he let people enter into him, and he entered into their pain. All the signs and wonders and miraculous healings he did, that was entering into the suffering and the pain of humanity. You all in this room are a kingdom of priests. We're called to be co-rulers. Well, that sounds pretty fancy and pretty kingly. Co-rulers is like a gardener, y'all. Okay? So when you think of co-reigning and co-ruling with Christ, you're going to be on your hands and knees tilling that soil but we're called to work the earthly kingdom for his purposes. We're called to be witnesses. What Matt and Mariah just did a second ago, beautiful example of witnessing. They had a hard season, and God met them through community. They just witnessed the grace of God. Beautiful. You all can do that every single day where you live, where you work, where you play. We're called to be martyrs. Man. Revelation has this amazing picture talked about it a little bit last Sunday, I think from chapter 6, 7, 8, and there's these martyrs, all the people that died for Christ, and they're gathered around the throne, and they're weeping, and they're crying out, God, how much longer will this injustice go on for? And Jesus replies, pretty stunning, he says, I got to get a few more martyrs. <sighs> Gives me chills just to say that and think about that. I got to get a few more martyrs. He's talking about you and me. A few of us have to be willing to lay down our lives for what we believe. And finally, we're also called now today, we're called to be his bride. We're called to be his bride. You know, I remember growing up in church youth ministries. And uh, what was my earliest conception about what marriage was about? Can you guess what my earliest conception of what marriage was about? Well, sex, obviously. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, I said youth ministry. I, pr- I tried to prime you for that, but I think that was too quick to go around the churn. I was a teenager, so you think marriage, we get to have sex now. I mean, that's, that's what it is. As a teenager, that's what you think. That's what marriage was about, like the final relishing of, of this desire. This, this is the outlet of monogamy. Sorry, that was too quick. And I know we got kids in the room, but that's okay, because we're going to teach you how to talk to your kids about these things. Because the Bible says, in the context of marriage, sex is good. So, no need to fill your kids' heads with these shame orientations. One day they're going to get married in their, Christ, their very Christian marriage, and they're going to say, uh-oh, is this okay? No, it's because God created it. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. So, yeah, my question is, though, my question is, have we really grown up out of that place? <laughs> Whatever our misconceptions of, of marriage or, or even singleness, because today we're going to talk about both. There's a great picture from Revelation 19 about marriage, but we are all the bride of Christ. Whether you're single today or whether you're married today, whether you have kids or you got grandkids, we're all called to be married to Christ. And I think that we have to grow up a little bit. That's the big idea. That's one of the biggest ideas this morning is that we've got to grow up a little bit about our misconceptions around singleness and definitely marriage. That's what we're called to. So... <clears throat> Today, looking at Revelation 19, we get this heavenly image of marriage. And I'm going to put a companion of Jesus' words from the Gospel of Matthew about singleness. We're going to put those together, and there's two things we're going after. The first thing is that our marriage to Christ, as couples, but also as singles, is one of the most profound images of heaven on earth. When you as a single person show that you're utterly devoted to Jesus. You're in love with Jesus. You look forward to seeing him when you wake up and seeing him when you go to bed. That is such an amazing image of Christ on the earth when you do that as a single person. Show and celebrate your marriage to Christ. And as a married couple, our marriage to Christ is such a picture of heaven on earth. The way you sacrificially serve one another in your marriage the way you go out of your way in a marriage, the way you put someone else's needs first, wow. Just like, just a portal, just right down to earth from heaven. Like something from a movie, you could just see earth, just heaven transported right to earth anytime we do that as singles or married couples. So it's a picture of heaven on earth. The second thing, our marriage to Christ as couples or singles is, it's one of the most powerful mechanisms to grow us up. Grow us up a little bit. Marriage to Christ as a single person, marriage to Christ uh, as a couple is about maturity. It is one of the chief mechanisms of growing us up into maturity. Let's look at this otherworldly, heavenly picture from Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 1. It's going to be on the screen. You can follow along in your phones as well. After this, pause, sorry, really quick, a little piece of history, really quick, don't read ahead. After this, after what? Well, quick crash course summary of where we've been. We've spent most of this 14-week teaching series. We gave an introduction, and then we went right into seven messages to seven churches. This letter, Revelation, was a real letter written by the Apostle John. He gets this revelation or picture from heaven, and he is a pastor, John, is an 80-something-year-old pastor writing to seven churches. 
in what is modern-day Turkey. And we took seven Sundays, and we covered the seven churches. And then we pivoted, and I talked about we had this throne room picture. We get fast-forwarded. And uh, chapter 12, Revelation 12 onward, and there's this picture of Jesus on the throne. Go, go back two weeks and listen to Bucky's message. Phenomenal, encouraging picture of Jesus ruling on the throne right now in heaven as the lamb that was slain. What, get, what gives him his power? What makes him the ultimate ruler? He sacrificed his life. That's what makes him perfect in his power and his ruling. So we go to the, the throne, and then last week I talked about prayer around the throne, and then this week it kind of continues. There's, we skip forward all the way to Revelation 19. If you're wondering, what happened to these crazy pictures of Babylon and the woman and the beast, and all of you guys have these like, like pop fiction pictures of the beast and the woman and all that crazy stuff? If you're wondering, what about all that, guys? We're going to record a podcast tomorrow. We're going to cover like three to six of your biggest questions. Uh, end times theories, the beast, Babylon, all those heady questions. But what you need to know now is what just happened prior to chapter 19 is the downfall of the bad guy, okay? The bad guy gets his, you guys. The bad guy goes down, and that's what it means. In verse 1, it says, after this, the bad guy goes down in a blazing flames of not glory, but just death and destruction. Gone, okay? So Jesus wins. Hello, Revelation is a hopeful book. Yeah? It's a hopeful thing. So verse 1, after this, all that I just described, I heard a sound like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, hallelujah. Everyone say, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. It's only used like twice in the New Testament, that word. That's crazy. And this is one of two times. It's like the ultimate giving God credit and glory. Yahweh. It's, a, it's like... Hallelujah, like Yahweh, which is this, this powerful name that was given to God in praise and worship and glory. Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. He's judged the great prostitute, that's the woman, the bad guy, who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He's avenged the blood of his servants, those martyrs that were crying out for justice, that was poured out by her hand. And a second time, they called out, hallelujah. Everyone say it with me, hallelujah. Her smoke rises forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, amen. One more time with me, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you who serve him and those who fear him, small and great alike. And I heard a sound like the roar of a great multitude like the rushing of many waters, like a mighty rumbling of thunder crying out, Hallelujah. Say it with me. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. All raw strength is sitting on the throne right now. That's what Almighty means. All raw strength. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. She was given clothing of fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen she wears is the righteous acts of the saints. And the angel told me to write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Let's pray. Bow your heads. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, the slain lamb sitting on the throne right now. God, we are awed by you.
we are floored, literally floored by you. You are almighty. You are all raw strength. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you. We repent for the things we forgot to say thank you for. God, we churn and we want to come before you with a right posture. We have given our heart out to so many other false gods. I, the pastor, have given my heart out to so many false gods. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you're the God of second chances. Thank you for your mercy and grace. God, I just pray the prayer from Isaiah 55 that the word that goes forth right now would not return void. It would be fruitful wherever it is sent to our hearts and our minds today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You know that each one of us is married to Christ. Girls in the front row. Caleb, did you guys know that you're married to Christ? Ah, when was your ceremony? When was your reception? You might rightfully ask. That might sound like Christian corniness, especially if you're single in the room. Oh, yeah, thanks, Ben. I'm married to Christ. That's Christian corniness. If you're single, you might think that. If you're married, it might be a little inconvenient to have another spouse besides the one you got here naturally, physically. But the Bible maintains this narrative throughout Scripture. There's so many references. But I just want to give you one old and one new. I'm going to keep going on this theme of this marriage and this bridegroom picture. Isaiah 54 says this, Fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There's no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of your widowhood, for your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name, Yahweh. Hallelujah. He is your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. Isaiah 54, Old Testament book, prophetic book. The prophets, like Isaiah, really spoke truth of the word of God to a people who had fallen in love with the woman. The, the so-called prostitute that we read about in Revelation 19. The bad guy. And the Old Testament God, he's not very gracious. He can't be very forgiving. What does Isaiah 54, 4, and 5 just say? For all of your prostituting and all of your running around with the bad guy and giving your heart over to the bad guy, I will redeem you. That language is grace, forgiveness, all the way back there in the Old Testament. I'm taking back my bride and I make her pure. Fast forward to 2 Corinthians 11. For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. This is Paul now speaking. I'm jealous for you, church. He's saying as a pastor to his local church. I'm jealous for you on behalf of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve is deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. God is very monogamous after all, isn't he? His entire character, his whole being is committed love. Exclusive, committed love. The thing that does make Revelation hard and offensive is because we are called to exclusivity with Jesus. And all other gods and all other lovers have to be cut off. That's what makes this such an aggressive truth. Today, in our world of nothing can be exclusive. See, when I was dating, when you dated the one person, that was the one person you dated. You didn't have to have another second step of exclusivity. Oh, oh, we can stop dating multiples and we're just going to go, yes, and let us officiate that right now. Like a pre-wedding ceremony that we're dating exclusively. Like, 
this, that's a product. I'm not shaming you if you've done that. No, it's just a product of the world we're in now today. It shows you how far and how archaic these ideas of marriage even are. Like, that's where I wanted to start as I was doing my study. We have to begin right here. Like, this is partly why God's heart is so grieved by divorce. Whether it's inside or outside the church. Non-believers or believers. It's the same institution of God. This marriage thing comes from the Bible, not from a government sanction. And by the way, when I say divorce, in case you're a product of divorce here in this room, you've got to understand I'm talking about our heart divorce with God, with Jesus. Every one of us has to reconcile our little hidden, shameful divorce thing we got going on. You're single in here, and you are a product of divorce. We all, I, I, I'll raise my hand, I'm a product of divorce, the way I've divorced God when I have succumbed to the wrong desires in me and chosen those instead of the right desires in me that the Holy Spirit put there. All of us have to reconcile this idea that we have cut ties with God and Jesus and he's wooing us back. He wants to dress us in that purity, those white linens, and he wants to make us that way. This worthy, beautiful bride. Like Bucky and I always talked about in the last five years, we were redoing our kind of mission, vision, values as a church. And one of the things, it didn't make it on a poster anywhere, but one of the things me and Bucky are just sold out for. Bucky, by the way, is, if you're new to church, he's one of our founding pastors and current teaching pastor here. But like a mantra, we could have made a hat out of it, was like to make the bride beautiful again. <laughs> yeah, some of you are getting out of the presidential undertones there. Like what if we just made the bride beautiful again? And, and when I say the bride, I mean us, the church. Because there are some ugly depictions of what it means to be a Christian in the world today. And the righteous acts of the saints get to rectify that. When we say, who will go? Who will do it? Who will fix it? I just wish the church would grow up. I wish the church would grow up and mature and finally do what the Bible says. Who will go? And you'll just say now, you'll say, me, I, I will. Because that's how we make the bride beautiful again. Is each one of us in turn raises our hand and says, yeah, I will. I'm the bride. I'm the church. And it's my turn and my time to be a part of that. Marriage is the living picture of Jesus Christ, the groom, and the church, the bride, coming together in perfect sacrificial love. Like I said, it's a heavenly picture. Just, just through the portal, girls, just came right down on earth. That's crazy. You can see Jesus. Like when you see a marriage walking down the street, hand in hand, you ought to see two people. You don't, but just picture it now. You see what you, th- you believe to be a couple? I don't care how old they are. They could be married one year. They could be married 40 years. And they're walking down the street. This is what you should see. Two people forgiving, listening, serving, and loving one another so hard. And when you see that, that's an image of heaven problem today is that we just don't, we don't really have a redemptive vision for marriage or singleness. We don't have a redemptive vision of what these things are. Our problem in understanding the Bible, like when I saw that we were talking about marriage today, I'm going to jump around. I'm, I'm going to live in the, I'm going to start with Revelation, then I'm really going to come back and end with Revelation. But when I saw it was marriage, I just thought, oh, like the Holy Spirit made it so clear. Oh, today We're so far gone in the culture, in the world today, that we don't even know what marriage means. 
We don't, we don't even have a good functional operating definition of what a marriage is. Uh, so I just want to start really quickly by telling you what a marriage is not. And this is not going to be on the screen, but if you're taking notes, you could jot it down because I think it will speak to you. But the first thing, marriage is not, it's not a convenient living arrangement. Marriage is, is not just something we do to save on rents. It may be very helpful for that. And God bless you if you can work that out. <laughs> if you can land yourself a bride or a groom and just save on those rents, it's hard times. I get it's brutal, but that's not a definition of marriage. Marriage is not a government-sanctioned pact. A lot of people don't know that. I, I, you know, I've met some young marrieds. I just got married this last year, and it's like, oh, good. You know, we got the piece of paper from the county. And yes, we want to honor the laws of the land. And yes, we use the legal systems that God has provided us with, but that's not what makes you married. It's an institution of heaven. The governing body is Jesus, the slain lamb on the throne right now, blessing and affirming your marriage. Marriage is not an exchange of sexual favors. It's not. It's not just what indulgences do I get now that I'm married. That's not what it is. Though that's such an important value, and it will protect the unity and strength of your marriage to talk about your intimacy and to create expectation there and standards there. Really important, but it's not the, the, the platform for which we build a marriage. What perks and benefits can I get? Marriage is not a socially acceptable next step. Well, we've been shacked up for 10, 15 years. Let's just, you know, yes, I'll give it to her. <laughs> yes, I'll give it to him. I, I guess we'll do it. No, it's, it's not just a functional next step either. It's not a next step. It's not something that we do to please our parents. <laughs> That's a hard one, I know. I, uh, even someone who's really aggressively anti-people pleaser, I still, even me, I got like a 5% people pleaser in there. And I really want to make Lisa Appleby proud, okay? That's my mom, by the way. Like, I, I want to make Lisa happy if I can. We all have that. Marriage is not uh, take it or leave it. It's just take it. Marriage is not a consolation prize at the end of a televised contest. Marriage is not conventional, it's incarnational. Marriage is not a convention. Marriage is a physical manifestation of Christ, the groom, and the church, the bride, together on earth. That's what incarnation means. A manifestation, a physical, tangible picture of heaven on earth. And if, if you tired of hearing the word marriage and you're single in the room, remember, just insert my marriage to Christ. Because as a single person, your marriage to Christ is a physical, tangible manifestation of Christ on earth. It's not just conventional, it's incarnational. But you can see how we've had this great divorce, right? Even in a different term, like in the culture, in the world today, their definitions because every movie I watch, everything I see on TV or I hear from people, like in terms of another marriage failure, well, we just changed. We grew apart. We're different people now. Don't we say the same things to Jesus? Well, I just changed. I'm different now. I don't have the faith of my parents anymore because I figured it out on my own apart from Christian friends that will speak truth in my life, apart from the local church where I can go to test ideas. 
That's why the Bible doesn't translate when we say we're married to Christ. When I saw Revelation 19, I wanted to go through this crash course because if you say we're married to Christ, I'm not going to take that for granted anymore. That all of us today can have a universal agreement about what marriage is. We're struggling today with the great divorce of our hearts. And statistically, our Christian marriages in the world, we're struggling with this great divorce. But in our hearts, too, we have this great divorce. And Revelation says, come back. Come back. I will woo you. And I will make you pure. I want to take this Revelation imagery deeper and even more practically by talking about marriage and the call to singleness according to Jesus. So Jesus, this, if we have a misconception today, if we have a wrong worldview of what it means to be married to Jesus as a single person or married to Jesus as a married couple, for sure there was a wrong worldview going around in Jesus' time. And the Pharisees, the religious elite, had the same problem. And so they go to Jesus with the wrong idea of marriage and divorce and they ask him, hey, this is what they ask him. This is from Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came to him in order to test him. They want to make him look bad. And they asked, is it lawful to divorce a wife for any cause? Jesus quotes Genesis 2, and and he continues it by saying, so you see, one man and woman are, are married. They're given to one another, and they become one family, a new family. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Well, they said to him, why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of dismissal and divorce her? And Jesus says something so particular. He just leapfrogs their games and their gimmicks and their tricks. He just leapfrogs it. You want to talk about marriage? No, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to talk about your very hearts. You have divorced God with your hearts. This is what he says. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of your hard hearts. Everyone say it with me. Hard hearts. But say it real nasty like you're grunty. Like hard hearts. That's, a, that's, a, that's an auditory Picture of a hard heart. They just did, they just resealed the gravel in the front of our house over the last three weeks. You know that gravel? It's just like, it's like rock. You know what I'm talking about, Camdy? It's It's like a rock, you know, that you bruise your knee on. But from the beginning, it was not this way, Jesus says. He's just going to leapfrog the cultural question. And the religious test is he going to say, "You got <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry, I had a hip hop lyric that I had to just say no to in my head." Um. <laughs> teams come with teams, um, you and yours. Anyways, um, so he says, "I'm not going to talk about marriage and divorce. I want to talk about your hard hearts. I want to." Tell me, religious elitists, about how the divorce went with God. Who officiated it? It wasn't me. I want to talk about that. There's a word that explains it all. Our desire to divorce our spouses, to go our own way. Our desire to divorce God and go our own way. And it's this one term, hard hearts. And look it. I, I just took a screenshot, basically, of what, the, what, the, what, the, what BibleHub.com says about hard hearts, the Greek word, and here's a picture of it. It's really gross and really convoluted. But you can see the real Greek definition of what hard hearts is. Sclerocateria. Sclerocateria. Everyone say it with me. Sclerocateria. Did you guys get it? You guys did good. It means hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. Perverseness. Obstinacy. It's 
from two words, scleros, hard because dry, and cardia, heart. Now read this, get this, properly, hardness of heart because of a lack of moisture. An obstinate, hard heart which lacks the oil of the Holy Spirit and hence implies rebellion. That is, someone refusing to be receptive or obedient to God's inworking of faith. Someone who rejects Jesus as a single person is struggling with hard-heartedness. Someone who rejects Jesus in their marriage, rejects their spouse, is rejecting the hand of God in their life. If you're rejecting your spouse, if you're single, you're rejecting your Christian friends, you're pushing away the very hand of God in your life. The very hand of God. Now, there are exceptions to this, and I'm going to talk about it. Jesus is going to talk about it. He's going to talk about infidelity and abuse, because that's where your minds are going. I'm going to come back to that later. But I want to, I want to give you a picture. Let's see. Actually, I'm going to skip over that. And let's just keep going down this road of maturity. Each one God has put in your life, your spouse or your Christian friends or your Christian family or Christian community as the very hand of God to mature you. So when you're rejecting your spouse and their encouragements to you, and they're calling you out and calling you up, you're rejecting the hand of God. You're just saying, this is what you're saying, I don't want to grow up. I don't want to. Why am I so good at that? Because I do it all the time. Because I'm an adult adolescent, I'm an adult toddler, and I want to reject the hand of God in my life. And this happened, like, I don't know, four nights ago. And my wife and I, at the end of a long day, were having a conversation. Was it about one thing? No. It wasn't about one thing. It's about three to six things. Very important, life-threatening things. Like, all at once. Was it about one thing? When you're a, a, a married couple and you have kids, you've got to talk about everything at the end of the day. Can't just talk about one thing. You've got to get it all in. And so, we're talking about, we're just getting to the first subject. When my eyes start to roll. Oh, man. You bet I was lucky to have the lights down. Because I can't be a grown-up enough to just listen to the conversation and to hear the desire of my wife's heart and the conflict and the tension and the stuff that she's going through. And I'm just, oh my gosh, really? Because I disagree with maybe her position. And so, yeah, I'm just an adult toddler. I don't want to grow up. The beautiful thing about the relationship with the Holy Spirit is he will help you in your time of need. Because I wanted to be so selfish. I was tired at the end of a long day. And I wanted to debate and fight and talk about my you know, perspective of the truth. And, and then I just rolled over from eye rolling and I just looked, rolled my back because of course we were in bed. And I rolled over my back and I just said, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, would you help me right now? Give me a fresh vision to get involved here and to, and to just be filled with the fruits of your spirit. And telling you, I rolled over and just pulled one of these. I was like, <laughs> tell me more. What, what, what else? I swear. Am I bragging? Is that a humble brag? No, I'm witnessing. This is witnessing. You can do it too. If I'm going to witness and model my adolescence, I want to share with you some of the breakthroughs too by the help and encouragement of the Holy Spirit that helped me get there. I couldn't have gotten there. I was all in my flesh. Impatient, unkind, unlistening, unsympathetic. 
That was all my flesh. That was my sin nature. I said, maybe I should just ask Jesus for help here. And he helped me, man. He helped me in that moment. There's this amazing conversation where Jesus and the religious leader going back and forth. What about infidelity? That's essentially what Jesus says. He says, I'm permitting divorce. You know, within the, in, it, 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 this is what he says. We're going to go forward to, to 19, verse 10. We're going to skip this crazy graphic. We're going to come back to that later. And this is what he says. The disciples said to him, if this is the case of a husband with a wife, it's, it's not better to marry. This is the disciples now, not the Pharisees. They turn to Jesus because Jesus says, you got to stick in this because the hand of God is at work to mature you. In your marriage, I'm going to incarnate, I'm going to show up, and also I'm going to use this to mature you. And the disciples, they get it. What are the disciples feeling? They're getting how hard it is and how serious the bar of marriage is to Jesus. They get that and they say, well, we shouldn't marry at all, Jesus. This is crazy. All the disciples, except Peter, are unmarried. So you get the perspective. Peter's married, and we're pretty sure all the rest of them are really young men. They could have been late teens, early 20s. Did you know that about disciples? That's true. And so they're like, maybe we shouldn't get married, Jesus. And this is what he says. He said to them, not everyone can accept this statement, except those to whom it's been given. And then he's going to give this crazy thing, but I'm going to explain it to you. For there are some eunuchs who were that way from birth, and some who have been eunuchs by others, and some who became eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who's able to accept this should accept it. As a summary, why is he talking about eunuchs who are, you know, castrated individuals? Yeah, I know we just went there really heavy, really deep, really quick. Like some by birth and some by, you know, by being a bondservant. He's using that, that dramatic example in his modern day culture to talk about singleness. Because singleness is hard, y'all. That's what he's talking about. Why does he use such a hard, aggressive example of someone who's been castrated? Because singleness is hard, partly. But he's also making this other statement. When he says... Not everyone can accept this statement. And then he finishes, the one who is able to accept this should accept it. Jesus, why is he talking about this? What is he saying? He's simply making this point, and now this is for everyone in the room. He's talking about singleness. And if you choose singleness, or yes, if it's being chosen for you, it's a part of God's will right now for you to be single, you're choosing a vow of celibacy. Being single today means you've accepted a vow of celibacy. They're synonymous in Scripture. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you're single, you're called to celibacy while you're single. That means no pornography, and that means no you know, infidelity with another person outside marriage. All of those things are a divorce with God in your heart. So to be single means you're choosing celibacy, and that's hard. If you're choosing marriage, you're choosing a vow of committed to love, and that's hard. Choose your hard. Is everyone covered in the room now with that statement? You bet. You're single and you're wondering, when's this message going to come back to us who are single? And it's so hard. I, trust me, I know. So my closest friends and family are single and I've watched them go through the dark night of the soul and face discouragement and face loneliness and face the lies of the enemy. And their marriage to Jesus is very hard. But I've watched people struggle in their marriages too. And people just want to tap out. They want to get out. And that's hard. Choose your hard. But when we overcome that hard and we show our fidelity to Jesus as single people and our fidelity to Jesus in our marriage, the world steps back and says, what am I seeing? As a single person, we have to stop thinking about it as something that we must endure as a punishment from God. It's not something that we must endure 
It's something he's calling you into to manifest heaven on earth now. When you have that kind of fidelity to Jesus. And it shows, and people get it, and they see it. It's amazing. Because that's what the rest of the world looks like who is single, and they're in the non-believing world. When they're single, and they don't know Jesus, and they don't have this fidelity with Jesus, that's what they look like. Despairing constantly. It's okay to have hard feelings, but they're despairing constantly. They're depressed constantly. They're lusting over the temptations of this world. They've fallen down, and they're married to the, to the quote-unquote woman of this world. That's what the rest of the world looks like. So when you look different, single person in the room, the world stands up and takes note and says, what did they have going on that makes them so different? It's an incarnational manifestation of Jesus here on this earth. And the singleness, because it's hard, is the hand of God to mature you and grow you. It is. It is. Your singleness today is God's hand to mature you and cure you and grow you up. I'm telling you. That maturity is going to come one way or the other. I got married at 21. What was the hand of God to mature me? It was the marriage. <laughs> uh, so what? I was married at 21 and then another person was single from 21 to 31. Both of us had the hand of God to mature us. Singleness was hard. First 10 years of marriage, there were some hard points. Your boy had to grow up a lot. Yeah, I did. So God will use what he needs to use all things to grow us up. This is the last thing. The band, you guys can come up right now as we look at Revelation 19. I told you we're going to start with it and end with it. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. She was given clothing of fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen she wears is the righteous act of the saints. Then the angel told me to write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. I, I forgot to make my qualifier um, about infidelity or abuse. You've heard me really yelling now. Stay in your marriage. Your marriage is the hand of God. Oh, he's using it to mature you. Guess what? Um, if you're in a situation of abuse, um, you're a child of God. And no, God doesn't sponsor that. No, he doesn't. Oh, God doesn't sponsor that. He's not about that. He's not about seeing his children abused. So no, if that's you or someone you know, no. The church is not going to be complicit and unhealthy by condoning people to be abused. No. Because we're about liberation and freedom and justice for all. So no, okay? Just hear me. Read between the lines on that one. And then the other one that everyone wants to know, what about infidelity? Surely the Bible gives permissions for that. I mean, they, they, they cheated. They broke their vows. They broke their commitment. They lived outside of that. They, they, they divorced in their heart the second that they cheated. And that's true. But I'll just tell you the behind-the-scenes look. At when I'm in an office with a couple and they've had an infidelity, whether it be emotional, whether it be through porn, or whether it be physical. As a pastor, we're lobbying. We're lobbying. We're petitioning heaven for the reconciliation of that marriage. And the two people have to come to the table and agree that that's what they're called to and that they want to fight for it, but the pastor's position is to fight. Because even though it's wrong and it's a gross injustice to have infidelity, do you know what is pictured when that couple says we overcame the worst thing that could have happened to us and we forgave one another and we reconciled? What does that picture, y'all? Is that not one of the most redemptive, insane pictures of forgiveness, otherworldly forgiveness you could ever imagine? Because it's so wrong to be cheated on. So wrong. But the couple says, I I'm going to forgive with the power of Jesus' blood to forgive right now. And, you know, there ain't no infidelity that's private, right? You guys know this. The friends and the family and the neighbors know what's going on. And then the friends and the families and the neighbors say, they just wake up and they say, why? 
That doesn't make any sense. Do what the world does. Leave him and move on. Leave her and move on. And the couple says, no, we felt led to fight for this marriage because the marriage is the incarnational evidence of kingdom. The marriage is the incarnational evidence of, of heaven being real here and now. That's a, that's a witness that the couple testified. And so yes, there, there are, in our broken world, the breakdown of this marriage hand of God. God wants to use to mature us and to show himself to us. But let's just make this personal for you right now, whatever you're going through right now. God is using your circumstances. He's using your relationships. He's using your trials and, and your absolute trials, <laughs> your suffering, your persecution. He's using it to grow you up. He's using it to mature you, to come to complete maturity, Ephesians 4 says, to come up to the full stature of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. And he wants to show himself to this world because the way you overcame your circumstance, you overcame your trial, you overcame your relationships. All this language right here in Revelation 19, his bride has made herself ready, maturity. She was given clothing of fine linen, bright and pure. That, that, that's maturity, growing up. The, the, the fine linen that she wears is the righteous acts of the saints. That's growing up, that's maturity. Those are the things we learn to do in maturity. How do we get to talking about marriage and singleness in the book of Revelation, Ben? Because the whole book is about fidelity to Jesus, guys. The whole book is about God gets our hearts back from leasing it out to the highest bidder around the world today. The book of Revelation is a discipleship book. It's a formation book. It's a maturity book. We grow up from reading the book of Revelation. Why? Because of anticipation for the groom. So what's your lot today? Are you married? And let it grow and mature you and make you more like Christ. What's your lot today? Are you single? And let it grow and mature you and make you more like Christ. Let's pray and then we'll take communion. Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, we need your help on this one. Clearly, I am insufficient. I need your help on this one, God. I've tried to faithfully proclaim the text this morning, God, whatever it was of me that was of Ben Appleby, uh, and it fell on people's ears, let them forget it and let it be washed away and let it not plague them or, or grieve them. God, whatever was of your Holy Spirit that needed to stick and land and be fruitful, let it be so in Jesus' name. For every man, woman, and child in the sanctuary today. God, we've talked about hard issues today, from infidelity to uh, marital strife to singleness. When we come to the communion table, we say your blood and your body are enough for us. Thank you, Jesus. So we take it now, God, in preparation for the day that our groom comes again. And the roles will be reversed, God. The groom will be coming down the aisle and we'll be the bride and we'll be just weeping, looking at the groom coming in his perfection, in his glory, in his all raw strength because finally justice is coming. Finally, you're making all things right for the wounds and the brokenness and the holes in our heart. The groom is coming down the aisle. Even now in communion, the groom is coming down the aisle. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let us taste it. Let us feel it. Let, let us sense it, that it's not far away. Even now, we pray, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. 
If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.